The Lord is good, good to be in the house of the Lord, good to see everybody that came out tonight, uh, enjoyed the singing, enjoyed any time you can come into the presence of the Lord is always a good day, amen? And uh, like he said, we are in the book of Colossians tonight, and uh, boy, I, I tell you, there's some heavy duty stuff in this book, and, and I've been enjoying studying it. And uh, you can go ahead and be finding in your Bibles tonight the book of Colossians if you haven't already. And we're going to be back in the first chapter. And uh, last week, of course, we talked about how the church had found it, had been founded. We talked about Epaphras, how he had brought the gospel to the Colossians after having heard the gospel in Ephesus. And uh, Paul had begun to write this letter uh, after he heard about some false teachers that were coming in to the church at Colossae. And, and uh, tonight we're really going to get into the meat of this letter, really the heavy stuff that he wanted to bring out to these people. So uh, if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to overlap just a couple verses from last week, just so we have the context of, uh, of the uh, scriptures here, and then we're going to focus in on a few new ones that we didn't go over last week. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning at the 12th verse, if you've got it, say amen. 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 Uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So we're talking about his dear son, Jesus. Verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. I've titled the message tonight, and we're going to stop reading right there, verse 19. The title of the message is, There's No One Like Jesus. You may be seated. There's no one like Jesus. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, when you're talking about the deity and the glory and the power of Christ, you can never say enough and you can never say it well enough. And I feel that as I'm studying the Scriptures because this is heavy-duty stuff here. I don't know if you notice that as you're reading, but there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage, a lot of things about the person of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go into these things, but I just want to begin by saying, you know, we're talking about the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ. See, God is one God represented in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're not parts, they're persons. God is one represented in three persons. Tonight we're talking about God the Son, the second person in the Trinity. He's the eternal Son of God. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting, just as the Father, just as the Holy Spirit. He was never created. He is the creator. He's not an angel. He's not an emanation of some sort. He is the only begotten eternal son of God. Can I get an amen? Now, as I was studying this, uh, I wrote something out uh, that I titled just the same as the message, but I want to read it for you. It's titled, There's No One Like Jesus. Jesus is the central person of all time and before time. There's never been a time when he was not. His coming to earth was supernatural and divine. God became a man. He was virgin born, God in the flesh. And in that flesh dwelled the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus never ceased to be God in his time on earth. Through him deaf ears heard, blind eyes saw, lame men leapt, lepers were cleansed, the gospel was preached to the poor. 
the dead was raised. Even time itself was divided at Jesus' birth. God became a man and dwelt among men. He labored, he toiled, he hungered, he thirsted, he sorrowed, he felt pain and new grief. He was tempted and tried, yet sinless and perfect. The Almighty chose to take on the form of a servant. He chose no throne, though he could have sat on any throne of his choosing, because he's the king above all kings. He left his throne to bear a cross. His crown became a crown of thorns. His body was beaten and bruised and crushed. His hands and feet were nailed to the cross. His side was pierced. Jesus, the Lord of glory, died and was buried. His tomb was sealed and guarded, but no watch was sufficient. On the third day, the stone rolled away and the king of glory rose in glory. Death was defeated. The head of the serpent was crushed. The seed of the woman had prevailed. Scripture fulfilled in Christ is risen. His resurrection is true and verifiable. He was seen by many. His disciples seen him and felt him. They talked to him. They touched him. They ate with him for it was and truly is the resurrected him. He was seen of over 500 people prior to his ascension. The witnesses were eyewitnesses of the once crucified, dead, and buried, but now resurrected son of God. The disciples watched his ascension as he went into heaven with the promise of his return being given. These men went on to live and most all of them died for the cause of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Jesus is no less alive today. He is on his throne. History bears out the power of the gospel, the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. There's never been another person in whom more books have been written, more lives have been touched and changed. To this day, his life and work is sufficient and powerful to change and radically transform any who come to him in faith. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He is the only way to the Father and the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, King of kings and Lord of lords, the eternal Son of God. There is no one like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. As we look into this passage of Scripture, the focus is going to get tightened and we're gonna see Jesus more clearly. If you've ever had a camera and you, pick, you put it up to your face and it has a manual focus on a lens or something and everything seems kind of blurry, but as you tighten that focus, suddenly the lines become sharp, the image becomes clear and you can see exactly what you're photographing. Well, that's kind of what's going to happen as we're reading this passage here. We're going to get a clear view of Jesus Christ. We're going to get a clear view of the person of Jesus Christ. If it's a little blurry with you tonight, by the end of the night, I'm hoping that you're going to see it clearly. See what Paul is going to do, the Apostle Paul, because uh, he wants these Colossians to have a clear view. There are some false teachers coming along, causing them some problems. They're telling them all sorts of lies. They're telling them all sorts of things that are simply not true, what you would call heresies. They're deviating away from the truth of the gospel and the word of God. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to give them some lenses to look through. Have you ever went to the eye doctor? And you go in there, and when you first get there, and you don't have glasses, and you see the sign with the letters on it, and you've got the great big one on top, and you're saying, I can read that. I'm good. E, got it. Yep, got that one. But they say, go down a little further. Read about the fourth or the fifth line, and you're saying, is there even any letters on it? It just looks like a straight line or... He's saying, is this an ink blot? Is this one of those ink blot tests? I'm looking at, I think I see an elephant maybe or something like that. But then as you start doing the exam, what do they do? They start dropping lenses down and they say better or worse and they start putting these lenses in front of your eyes and as they do, suddenly you start being able to see more clearly. They're giving you lenses to look through that's correcting your vision and giving you clear vision of what you're looking at and by the time they get done, you can read the t-shirt on a gnat, you're feeling good. I mean, you can see tiniest writing, you can read that bottom line. That's what Paul is doing in this 
letter to the Colossians. He's saying there's a lot of things I've heard from Epaphras, your faithful minister who came 1,300 miles from Colossae to Rome. He said, Epaphras told me all about you guys. You've got a great start, a good church. And uh, I believe he was also a minister to those neighboring towns, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Epaphras was. But he came here because these, these false teachers were causing some problems. And Paul says, I know what to do. I'm going to give them some lenses to look through so that they can see Jesus clearly. You follow me so far? See, the problem with the false teachers is they were, it was a mixture of Jewish legalism. They wanted to add laws and add things to it. They wanted to add things to Jesus saying, you don't, you don't quite have the good revelation, but I'm going to help you have a little bit better understanding. Come here and let me tell you a little bit about it. They claim to have higher knowledge. These are the enlightened people. They're going to give you some more information. Be careful about people like that. If you can't find it in the scripture, you better just walk away because I believe Paul said you're to mark those among you that cause divisions that teach things contrary to what you've been taught in the word. So we're not even supposed to have anything to do with those people other than sharing the gospel with them and praying that they become saved. But these people, they taught uh, there was an early form of Gnosticism. And what that is, it denies the deity of Christ. It denies his eternality. So these false teachers were coming in to these people that had a good start. They heard the gospel. They loved the Lord. But they were trying to give them this extra information. They were trying to give them a little bit more. And these Gnostics, they taught that that God, um, they taught that matter was evil. Matter is evil. So they said that God sent out these emanations, these spirits from him in a, in a descending order. So there was all these intermediaries between man and God. And he sent all these out. And then over time, finally one got so far removed from God that it didn't even know God. And it created the world. They said that God wouldn't create matter because matter's evil, so he sends out these emanations, and one got so far away from God, he didn't know God, and he created the world. And so they're saying Jesus is just one of these emanations. They're saying Jesus is just one of these spirit things that came from God, and he's just one along the ladder, and, and you know, you've got to work your way up. And, and uh, Paul is going to just tell them exactly like it is. He's going to refute this. It's baloney is what it is. There are no emanations. Paul's going to come right out, and rather than go to each thing that these false teachers were teaching, Paul's just going to give them a clear, solid, doctrinal vision with some lenses to look through that says, this is exactly, precisely who Jesus is, and if any Anybody comes through and says he's some second-rate emanation, they're a liar, and put them down the road. If you know the truth, you're going to know what you need to know when the idiot comes in and starts telling you something different. And so that's what this part of this passage in Colossians is all about. Paul is going to give them some lenses to look through. You follow me so far? I hope you're with me because we got a little ways to go here. Now, there are nine statements in this passage about Christ. You might break them up a little bit different, but I think I have a good order on them that will help us tonight to go through this passage. Nine statements about Christ in this passage. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we're going to go through them. In fact, Paul's points are going to be my points. We're just going to go through these and talk about these very things. So nine things found in this verses 15 through 19. Number one. He is the image of the invisible God. That's verse 15. In the same verse, number two, the firstborn of every creature. Number three, it's in verse 16. By him were all things created. You can do a subset here. That is things in heaven, in earth, visible, invisible, such as thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. Number four, all things were created for him. That's verse 16. Number five, he is before all things, verse 17. Number six, by him all things consist, verse 17. Number seven, he is the head of the body, the church, in verse 18. That is, he is the beginning of the church, and he is the firstborn from the dead, 
Number eight, he is the preeminent one in verse 18. And last but not least, number nine, in him all fullness dwells. Nine statements about Christ in verses 15 through 19. There's a lot there, but we're going to go through this because there's some important stuff there that's going to strengthen you in your view of this uh, Savior, our Savior, our Lord, and our God, Jesus Christ. So number one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? Now, he is the revealer of the Father. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Jesus makes the invisible God visible. Now, Jesus was and is the exact representation of the Father. In Jesus, the invisible God became visible. The Greek word here is icon, from which we get our word icon. Jesus is the icon. He is the exact likeness and representation of the Father. Now, let me say this. If Jesus were not God, he could not have been the exact image of the invisible God. If he were not God, you could not have the exact representation in every, in every way of the Father in Jesus unless he was, in fact, God like the Father. Amen? Now, you know the scriptures in John 1, but it's necessary that we go there. So put your thumb in Colossians. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. There are some people that may not know this. Some of you already do know these things. But we're going to hit these places along the way because it's necessary. John, chapter 1. Look at the first three verses. We're talking about Jesus as the revealer of the Father, the image of the invisible God. He is God. John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is the eternal, co-equal Son of God. He has no beginning and no end in eternity past. Jesus, the Word, was with the Father and in the bosom of the Father. The Bible is saying that the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the same, the Word was God. And uh, so we see here that Jesus is the Word. Look at verse 14, go on down the page. And the Word was made flesh. There we are, we're talking about Jesus. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Listen, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's saying, John was saying, the word, the word that was in the beginning, the word that was with God, the word became flesh. Jesus is the word of God, and he, made, he, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and he's saying, we beheld his glory, and the glory was that of the glory glory of the Father as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's making the invisible God visible. God is coming to be a man. Look at verse 18 of this same chapter of John. Listen, no man has seen God at any time. Now you say, wait a minute, no man has seen God at any time. Remember the Bible says that God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is, is, uh, is unapproachable in glory and light. And so Jesus, it says in verse 18, the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So no one has seen God, but John was saying, though no one has seen God, Jesus, the eternal word of God, the word was made flesh, came and declared who the Father is, and the invisible God became visible, amen? Uh, Jesus was having a conversation with Philip in John 14. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. In verses 8 and 9 of John 14, Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus says unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. 
And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Jesus was saying, Philip, don't you get it? You've been with me all this time. You've seen the things that I've done in my Father, fulfilling the work that he's given me to do. You've seen the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full and, uh, and full of grace and truth. You've seen, you've seen me. The word has become flesh. You've seen me, and you've known me, and, and I've made my Father visible to you. You're looking at him. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because Jesus is a revealer of the Father. The invisible God, visible in attributes, in nature, in fullness, in truth. Jesus is the exact stamp of the Father. The likeness of the Father in every way, clearly and perfectly represented. He is one with the Father. He is the icon. He is the invisible God made visible. I want to read to you. You don't have to go there unless you want to. Hebrews chapter 1 says this for us also. The first three verses says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, Hebrews 1, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This uh, writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image of his person, the exact representation. Amen. And when he went to the cross, and he finished that great work and he rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he sat down at that throne at the right hand of God in that seat of power. And the reason he could do that is because it was his seat to sit in. Because Jesus is God. Moving on to number two. Are you with me? Now we're talking about verse 15. Let's read that verse again. Who is the image of the invisible God? Jesus is the revealer of the Father. The firstborn of every creature. The Greek word here, firstborn, is prototokos. And this word uh, can speak of chronology, but most often it speaks to preeminence in position and rank. Speaks of position and rank. You hear firstborn and you think, well, that sounds a little strange when you first read that. But this word is talking about position and rank. In its context, it's not one of chronology at all. It has nothing to do with that. Even though Jesus is before all things in, in, uh, in glory, he is before all things. But this statement has nothing to do with origin at all. It has nothing to do with origin all. It means top priority of position, and it is a statement of supremacy. Firstborn is a statement of supremacy. Now, let me give you some Bible to back that up. Over in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God is speaking to Moses, and he says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. Now, Israel was not the first nation on the planet. But God says, Israel is my elevated nation. They are the nation that I have chosen in the highest position and highest of rank. I have elevated them. And he says, you go tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn. I have elevated them to the top of every other nation. They are my firstborn. Not anything to do with chronology there. It's talking about position and rank. Are you with me? Here's another one. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9. The last part of that verse says this, I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Now, Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was not the firstborn. But God says in this context in Jeremiah, he says, Ephraim is my firstborn. 
He's saying, I'm elevating him to take the position of highest authority. He says, I'm elevating him to the highest position. Let me give you one that's even uh, better than that. Psalm chapter 89, verse 27. Now, this is talking about David, but in a greater sense, talking about the Lord. Psalm 89, verse 27 says, also I will make him my what? Firstborn, what? Higher than the kings of the earth. Can you see that this is not about time frame? This is not about where he falls in the line of things. David was not the firstborn son. He was at the end of the line. It has nothing to do with time in, 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 in terms of chronology. It has to do with elevation, preeminence, supremacy, position, and rank. And, and he's saying, I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. That's what this word is talking about. This word is talking about elevation. See, we, have, we use this in our, in our common day. Uh, you hear the term first lady. Obviously, she's not the first lady. There have been lots of other ladies, but we call her the first lady. Why? Because she has the position of preeminence, the position of rank. She's elevated in that office. So you have that same kind of terminology today, the firstborn. It's a term of position. In those days, the firstborn, they got more stuff. They, they had the, the higher elevation in the home. They, they had somewhat of a, of a say in what goes on in the house. They were elevated to a high position. That's what he's talking about. So what he's saying is Jesus is supreme above all things in heaven and in earth. He is the highest in position and rank. He is not first created as some of the cults would have you to believe and they even try to take this verse to show it but I'm telling you tonight it has nothing to do with origin it has to do with position supremacy and elevation in position Jesus came out of eternity to take on the likeness of men and die for our sins he has no beginning he has no end he is the only begotten of the father he was not created he is the creator and Jesus stands supreme in all of the universe Jesus is unique he's the only begotten eternal son of God J. Vernon McGee said it like this and I loved it he said when Jesus came into the world a child was born but the son was given and he had come out of eternity Way back there in Bethlehem, when Jesus was born, that was no origin. Jesus didn't start there. A child was born, but the son was given. Out of eternity came Jesus to that manger in Bethlehem. That's good, amen? So from the Father came the Son, and through the Son came salvation. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, Again, I want to read this to you because it talks about this very thing. That first chapter of Hebrews is talking about the glory of Christ and how he's unique in relation to everything else. He is unique. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten, and that's the same word, firstborn, prototokos, into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now listen, Jesus is no angel. He's no emanation. He's no demigod. He is the eternal son of God. He is the supreme one. All of the angels worship him. They minister to him. They are his servants. Heaven and earth adore him. He is supreme in position and in power because he is the son, because he is God. Even God himself calls Jesus God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O 
God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. God the Father says to God the Son, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. It couldn't be more clear than that. It couldn't be more precise. Jesus is the only begotten, eternal Son of God, the supreme, preeminent God of all creation, creator, never, ever created. That's Jesus. Long about A.D. 325, they had this same issue. A man by the name of Eris. Um, he was from Libya, and he started teaching people along this same line of heresy. He denied the eternality of Jesus. He denied the deity of Jesus. And so the church at the time gathered what is called the Council of Nicaea. And they were going to combat this very issue of people denying and teaching this false uh, her this heresy about Jesus, this false doctrine. And this is the statement that they come up with in part. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. That's pretty good. Even way back then, the early church was dealing with it. 325 AD, you got another Yahoo that comes up and starts saying the same kind of nonsense, and the church comes together and says, wait a minute, this is not what the scriptures say about Jesus. This is not what the Bible teaches about Jesus, and they combat it, and today you have people doing the exact same thing. They're going around and they're saying Jesus is something less. Jesus plus something is what you need. They're saying that he's not God. They're saying he's less than God, and I'm here to tell you tonight that is a flat-out lie. It is a heresy. The Bible does not teach that. It is a lie from the pit of hell, and you need to shun every one of those people that would come with you with that kind of nonsense. In the same way that they fought it back then, if people will not turn and repent of that wickedness, you need to put them out and have nothing to do with them. Jesus is the supreme one. Number three, and we're going to move a little quicker now. Those first two are so important. That's why I wanted to spend more time on those because there have been so many people that have tried to twist the scripture, to twist what it says. The devil doesn't mind you knowing the word of God as long as you listen to his commentary about it. Perfectly fine with it. Read away. Now listen to what I have to say. That's the way the devil works. He doesn't mind you knowing the scriptures, but if you'll give him an ear... He'll take those very scriptures you read and try to turn them and twist them. It's what people do. That's what these cults today are doing. Now look at number three, verse 16. Let's read verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Way back in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paul is being very deliberate in what he's saying. He says, Jesus, all things were created by him. And so he's saying, way back there in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. He's saying, in the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus. He's the one that spoke the worlds into existence. All things were made by him. He's being very deliberate in this. How can you be created and be the creator of all things? It doesn't work that way. He's saying Jesus is God and Jesus is the creator. You can search the deepest oceans. You can probe the furthest reaches of space. You can dig into the furthest depths of the earth. You can climb the highest mountain. You can go to the lowest valley. No matter where you go, in any direction, in any place that you find a place, that place was created by Jesus. Everything that can be seen, everything that cannot be seen, 
uh, thrones, dominions, authorities, powers, governmental bodies, uh, uh, angels, cherubim, seraphim, all the glorious celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies and anything and everything else known and unknown lurking in the entire universe. It was all created by Jesus. There was not anything made that was made that was not made by Jesus because he is the creator. And Paul is not leaving anything out. He gives this list and he talks about a whole bunch of things and some things I don't even know what he's talking about. But he includes them just so you can know everything falls into this. Jesus made it all. Jesus created it all. Creator God created it all. And he makes it abundantly clear to them. The Bible says not only were all things uh, created by him, but all things were created for him. That's what it says at the last part of verse 16. All things were created by him and for him. Everywhere you look in creation, it testifies that God is. Look at the mountains. Look at the birds. Look at the heavens. Look at the animals, the forests, and the rainbows, and the constellations in the sky at night. And the glory of creation testifies to him. And everywhere you look, it says, without apology, God is. The Bible says you're without excuse. We see the creation and we know everything was made by him. Not only is Jesus the creator of everything that exists, but everything that exists was created for him to bring him glory. It was created for him to bring him glory. Creation testifies to his majesty. It testifies to his supremacy. It testifies to his power in one magnificent course. All of creation gives glory to the creator. Every blade of grass, every insect, every mountain, every valley, the oceans, the creatures in the oceans, the trees lifting their limbs in praise to God upward, the brilliant colors, the galaxies, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, every square inch of everything that exists, exists because of Jesus and it exists to give him glory because all things were created by him and for him. Jesus is so and power and authority and he can look over all creations and say it is mine I have made it and it is for my glory amen I like it whether you do or not Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 says it like this. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's saying that when you see creation creation, every knee should bow. When you look at the heavens, every knee should bow. When you look at the insects and the animals and all that God has created, every knee should bow. When you see these things in creation and the glory and the majesty of who he is, every tongue should confess and give glory to God the Father. It should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day, not only should it confess, but it will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Son, as the Son is glorified, so the Father is glorified in the Son. Isn't that wonderful? Number five, he is before all things. Verse 17, let's read it. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist this statement is about his eternality. He is before all things. When the universe began, Jesus was already there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. His words were the words that spoke the worlds into existence. There's never been a time when he was not. You can go to the furthest reaches of eternity past, and Jesus Christ will come out of eternity and meet you right there. You can go to the furthest reaches of eternity future, and and Jesus Christ will come out of eternity and meet you right there. Right here in this place tonight, Jesus comes out of eternity and meets his people in the house of the Lord. Amen. Moses said, 
Thou has been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. That's Psalm 90. Remember when Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, they were talking to those religious leaders and people of that day, and Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. And they took up stones to stone him. Why? Because he was making himself to be God. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They're saying Jesus is claiming to be God. Those same words that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush when he said, what, what do I say? Who do I say sent me? And God said, I am that I am. And Jesus in the same way said, before Abraham, I am because he's before all things. Number six, by him all things consist. That literally means uh, that they're held together. All things are held together by Jesus. Jesus is literally holding this whole world together. If you wonder why it hasn't spiraled out of control yet and went totally bonkers and crazy, it's because Jesus is the glue holding it together. If you wonder why things haven't gone totally crazy, even crazier than they are, it's because Jesus is holding it all together. If you're wondering why the planets can continue in their orbit, it's spinning around it, it however fast they're going. It's smarter than I am. It's because Jesus is keeping it all together. Even at the very smallest molecular level, they don't really know why it sticks together. But it does because Jesus is holding it all together. That's who's holding all things together. And if he can hold all the worlds and all of the universe and all of this stuff together every day, day in and day out, a bird can't even die and fall out of a tree in the Amazon without Jesus knowing exactly when it happened and where it happened. And if he can do all these things, he can hold your life together too. He can hold your circumstances together too. He can hold your emotions. He can hold your battles and your difficulties. He can hold you together. In in the midst of the storm, Jesus can hold you together because he's the one that holds all things together. Amen. Hallelujah. Upholds all things by the word of his power, it says in Hebrews. Number seven, coming to the close of the message. Not too much longer here. Number seven, he is the head of the body, the church. Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There's that word again. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus is the source from which all blessings flow. Like a river has a source. He is the source from which all blessings flow. Anything that doesn't have a head is dead. And Jesus is alive and he is the head of the church. Just like the brain orders your arms and your legs and your body to function, so Jesus orders the members of the body of his church because he is the head of the church. Not only that, he is the beginning of the church. Without Jesus, you don't have a church. Without Jesus, you don't have a church at all. But Jesus is the head in the beginning. His life and death and resurrection brought the church into being. Jesus is the beginning of the church. The body of Christ is made up entirely of blood-washed, born-again people who have repented of their sins and trusted Jesus Christ and placed that trust in the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. He is the head and he is the beginning. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the head. He's the beginning. And not only that, he is the firstborn from the dead. Now listen, sometimes we said earlier, the word can speak of chronology, but most often it speaks of position and, uh, and authority and supremacy. We, we learned that earlier. And in this case, as it pertains to the church, it actually is both. Let me explain this to you. Jesus was not the first to raise from the dead. He was not. 
You think of uh, the widow of Zarephath's son over in 1 Kings chapter 17. You think of the Shunammite woman's son over in 2 Kings chapter 4. There was a man raised from Elisha's grave when they threw him in and his bones, he touched the bones and he sprung back up on his feet. Now that would have been weird and cool. I would like to see that. Then you have the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7. They were carrying out on the wooden frame, the buyer. You have Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8. You have Lazarus. Come forth. Jesus called him back from the dead. See, Jesus was not the first one to rise from the dead. So there we go again. We're talking about the firstborn from the dead. But Jesus' uh, resurrection is the one that really matters. And here's why. He is the foremost and the supreme one because his resurrection brings life. Jesus' resurrection brings life. John MacArthur said it like this. Jesus was the first chronologically to be resurrected, never to die again. Of all who have been or ever will be raised from the dead, and that includes all people, Christ is supreme. So if we follow him in his death... And we can follow him in his resurrection to life. Though Jesus was not the first to be raised from the dead, he is supreme in resurrection because his resurrection brings life. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first to be resurrected, never to die again. He was the first to be raised in a glorified body. He's the preeminent one. He is the glorified one. His resurrection matters. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ can follow him in resurrection to life. In resurrection, Jesus is supreme. He is both the first chronologically, and preeminent in position. The first of many that's going to follow him and the highest in position and supremacy. Jesus, numero uno, number one, the highest in authority. Not only that, number eight, he is the preeminent one. He's the preeminent one. Look at the last part of verse 18, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In all things, Jesus is a preeminent one. We've talked about he's the image of the invisible God. He makes the invisible God visible. He's the firstborn of every creature. That is the preeminent one in position and rank. He is supreme. Everything was created by him and for him to give him glory. He is before all things. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's the head of the church and by him the church began, and by him the church continues to this day. He's the first to raise from the dead, never to die again, and through his resurrection many will follow. In all things, Jesus is the preeminent one. All of the universe, and in all of his church, without a question, he's the preeminent one. He's the eternal son of God, and Jesus is totally, completely supreme. And last but not least, number nine, let's read verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You could say it like this, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Jesus, in Jesus, all fullness dwells. There's no lack there's no shortage. It's not partial. The Bible says the fullness of God in totality dwells in Jesus. Now, the false teachers of this day wanted to teach that parts of God's power was divided amongst these emanations we talked about. They wanted to say that parts of his power was divided. But Paul says here there's no division of powers. There's no 
parts and divisions. There's no, there's no emanations. There's Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and in him dwells all fullness of deity, lacking nothing, not divided, not parted in any way. And it pleased the Father that in him all fullness should dwell. The divine attributes and powers of God were not spread out. They dwelt completely and fully in Jesus Christ alone. We read that in chapter 2 of this same book, verse 9. Let's read that verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In Jesus all fullness dwells. Brother Chris, you can go ahead and come up and get ready to bring a song. What a Savior. Are, did, did the lenses begin to come down tonight? Did you begin to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is? Did you begin to get a more exalted, glorified view of who Jesus is? I hope you did because it needs to be settled in your heart. It needs to be settled without question inside of you who Jesus is who he is and what he's done for you. It's got to be settled. If it's not settled, you have no hope of a future whatsoever. The question would be, maybe somebody listening or, or somebody in the room, uh, is Jesus supreme in your life? Is he the preeminent one in your life? Is he the one that's held to the highest esteem and position and rank in your life? Are there other things in your life that take a higher authority that mean more to you? Or is Jesus at the top? If he's not, he needs to be. If he's not, you need to take this, this truth of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you need to take that into your heart and trust Jesus Christ that he'll forgive you of your sins and make you a new person. That same God that created all the universe is pleased to come and dwell in you if you repent and trust him in faith. So we're going to give an invitation tonight and give you an opportunity. You can pray right where you are. Um, those that are online, you're, you're welcome to pray during this time. We're going to give a song. Uh, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. Not in any place, in any time. Absolutely no one like Jesus. And I hope that you know him tonight. Will you stand with me tonight? And let's go ahead and have a song. And you can come to these altars. We give an invitation because the altars are a meeting place that you can come and meet God. You can come and know God. You can come and find that salvation that you so desperately need. That's what the altar calls are all about. It's a time of prayer and calling out on God for whatever your need is. And we're going to give you that opportunity tonight.